0: This is the Yara Crop Nutrition Podcast. Yara is the global leader in crop nutrition knowledge and the leading producer of quality fertilizer products. This podcast is intended to facilitate the transfer of knowledge for farmers and crop advisors, improving farm profitability and environmental sustainability. With Yara, knowledge grows.
1: Thanks for joining another edition of the Yara Crop Nutrition Podcast. My name is Scott War. I'm the Digital Farming Manager, and we have a few guests today to talk about High Cotton, which is one of our crop solutions. We have Trey Cuts, who's our High Cotton Crop Manager. We have Christy Hicks, who is a Yara sales agronomist. And we also have Garrett Dixon, who I have been told he is a young farmer. So we're gonna get into that, but they're sitting in a barn in Salem, Alabama, surrounded by cotton fields. And we're gonna talk about cotton today. Garrett, first of all, I'm not sure if I've ever seen on a business card, young farmer. What does
2: that mean? What (laughs) how old are you, 12? I am. I got to think about this, 27. That's not too Uh, young. In some ways, I'm a fifth generation farmer, but in other ways, a first generation farmer. Um, We settled this place shortly after the Civil War Wow. um, and began farming here when my granddad passed away. Uh, 17 years ago, my uncle got out of row crops a couple of years after that. And when I was in school at Auburn, I decided that I wanted to uh, start the row crop operation back up and put my first crop in about five years ago.
1: Why? OK, so you're coming back to the farm. You're starting the farm back up. Why did you decide to plant cotton versus any other crop?
2: Well, my first crop was soybeans. I planted a little over 100 acres of those. Um, and the soybeans were appealing to me because they were, um, somewhat simple to grow and had lower input costs than cotton or peanuts. Um, so I thought that would be a good option for me. Um, however, there's a reason there's not many soybeans grown around here and that's because we have, um, sandy ground that can turn pretty dry at certain times of the year. Um, so the first, that, that crop of soybeans didn't turn out too well and, I kind of went back to the drawing board and looked at how we had grown cotton forever here. Um, it's long, longer than I've been alive and, you know, going back several generations. So I figured that needed to be the lifeblood of my farm as it has been in the past.
1: And how, how many acres are you farming there, Garrett?
2: Um, I got about 275 acres of cotton this year.
1: Okay. Um, Trey, tell us a little bit about high cotton. Why, why is cotton an important crop to Yara? And why are we focusing on that as a, as a crop solution?
3: Yeah, so uh, cotton um, is one of the major crops grown in, in the U.S., especially in the southeastern U.S. where we're sitting now. Um, there's approximately 13 million acres of cotton throughout the, throughout the uh, southern part of the country. Um, but cotton is a, is a very unique and special crop. As maybe many of the listeners know, all of your jeans and, and most of your shirts and bed sheets come from a cotton plant. And to me, um, it's a really fun crop to work with, especially in this new age of sustainability because when we think about uh, what we're wearing, um, do we want to be wearing uh, petroleum-based polyesters um, that come from non-renewable fossil fuels or do we want to wear, uh, wear clothes that come from a flower um, and so I think that's a that's an easy argument to make but cotton is just overall a, a fun crop so so tell me Christy
1: um, you're a sales agronomist that works with uh, um, our retailers and our growers in that southeast region um, How how is the cotton crop this year is it uh, a, a pretty good uh, bumper crop this year
0: uh I think we'll have a good cotton crop this year. Of course a lot of that depends on harvest conditions, but um, you know, as far as yields go, the majority of the plants, they look really good. Um and we've uh, retained a lot of fruit this year, so I think that'll lead to some high yields.
2: What what does your crop look like, Garrett? I think for the most part it looks fairly good. Um we were blessed with rain at the right time and, and pretty good amounts. I'm glad or unfortunate we missed um, these last couple hurricanes that have popped up, but I think we've got you know a good color to the plant. We've got pretty good bowl load on it. So, like Christy was saying, if we can just have good harvest conditions, I think we'll turn out all right. Tell
1: me a little bit about uh, again. I, I, I'm just thinking here. You're, you're you have this land that's been in your family since the Civil War, and now you're coming back. Did was it being farmed? Um, while while you were in college, or did you have to bring it back into production? How did that whole thing look like?
2: A little bit of both. When the transition was made out of row crops, the farm focused predominantly on cattle and hay production. Mm-hmm. Um, and over time, Um, I had some opportunities to bring some of that ground that used to be cotton fields um, out of pasture and grass back into um, row crop production with the cotton. So it was a little bit of both. Some of it, a little bit of it was fallow, but a lot of it came out of pasture to go back into cotton. What
1: were some of the steps to bring that ground back into row crop production quality?
2: Well, I I think I've brought land out of grass or pasture into cotton three different years. Each year I bring a little more in and every time the management strategy has changed. And I'm hoping to bring in another portion next year and it'll probably be managed different than the three previous to this. But um what we initially started I guess the basic things we did were um subsoil the ground because we had a lot of compaction from the cattle mm-hmm. and the hay equipment making multiple trips over the ground. And it's tough to get a good kill on Bahia grass. Um, so we've had some not insurmountable weed challenges with the grass coming up in the cotton. but That's proved a, to be an issue at times. It required an additional herbicide application. Um, and then there's always the, the fertility aspect that we run into. A lot of the, the pastures needed lime in at the time that I brought them in. So the pHs were a little lower. And I was always cautious about making sure the cotton didn't run out of nutrients following that grass.
1: What uh, what fertility programs have you found to be the mo- be the most uh, beneficial?
2: Um, so far, I've um, this will be my third year using chicken litter as a potash source for my cotton, and that has worked out really well. Um, with our sandier soils, like I mentioned earlier, if we catch a lot of rain, like we have this year where we've had several six inch rain events in the short, in the span of two or three hours, um, that chicken litter has stayed around longer than commercial fertilizer would have. Mm-hmm. And I think by putting, putting out, um, the chicken litter that's offset some of the nutrient deficiencies we might would have run into following the, uh, bahia grass.
1: Okay. Christy, uh you or Trey, you can answer this um with high cotton we're not just it, it's a solution brand um that we're looking at the holistic approach of of how to make cotton uh more profitable for these growers. Um what what is involved in that complete solution?
3: Yeah, so um In a sense it's almost you can think of a solution as actionable philosophy um it's not necessarily a product or even a group of products um which yara has a has an abundance of but it's more uh bringing to bear uh all of the knowledge uh with soil fertility and other agronomic aspects that yara has to help the cotton industry and cotton farmers uh, as a whole. And that's why it's special to work with farmers like Garrett, who um, have some of these challenges bringing fields back into production, because it's not all about uh, the products you apply. It's a, it's a holistic agronomy approach. Um, so that's really fun um, to be able to work in that type of environment and try to uh, solve a lot of those challenges.
1: Garrett, as you've brought this uh, land back into production, what have been like one or two of the biggest lessons that you've learned
2: not to go cheap on fertilizer? Thankfully I soil test pretty regularly. So by having a, a very recent soil sample ahead of the planting, the crop behind the grass, I was able to, to realize that I needed additional units of nitrogen and potash that I wouldn't have ordinarily needed if it had been a, a field that had been worked, um, or grown cotton in years prior. And, you know, it it may seem like a lot when you add it up over a lot of acres but you know if you spend an additional $5 say for instance on you know fertilizer for your crop um, following a pasture s- situation you'll reap that benefit at the end even though it you may not want to pay that additional money at the time did you did you
1: make the mistake of going cheap at one point and then found that no this is a better return on my investment if i pay for a little bit better quality fertilizer up front
2: I didn't go cheap necessarily. Um, I did have some issues the first year I grew cotton with my fertilizer spreader, which led to um, some nitrogen and potash deficiencies, which we were able to um, try to offset some of those symptoms with some foliar products. But I think, you know, if I had had all of that right to begin with, I wouldn't have run into those issues late season when it's too late to correct them.
1: Hey, Christy, um, you look work with a lot of our ag retailers that are selling Yara products and the agronomists uh, that work for them, and then also directly um, working with growers. What do you see as the biggest um, benefits or successes out there? Are, there? are there any golden nuggets that you've learned working with these cotton growers?
0: Uh, I'll just say that pretty much everything I've learned, I've learned from a cotton grower. So, uh, it's just been a very valuable experience being on farm and um, seeing realistically what goes on um, because you have to manage so many different aspects um, and take so many things into consideration, you know, as a farmer and as a retailer as well. So just being on farm and seeing what problems are out there, what opportunities are out there, you know, it's just a, a very good situation to be in. Um, and I'm very fortunate.
1: What What is the hardest nutrient to manage, do you think?
0: I would say in our region, that'd be potash, you know, nitrogen can leach. So in rainy years, we may have questions about how much nitrogen did I lose, but potash is something that even though your soil test may show medium or high, you can still have a cotton plant that's deficient. And that could be because of the root system. Um, it could be just, you know, if the soil saturated and the roots can't take it up or if it's too dry. So I think overall, potash and, and nitrogen would be the two the two main ones.
1: How do you how do you decide or how do you figure out if your crop is needing more potash or other nutrients?
0: Well the best thing to do is to start out soil testing and also have a realistic yield goal in mind. Know what your farm can do yield wise and that'll help you make better decisions always go ahead and front load all your potash. And, and even if you want to put a little bit out at side dress, that's fine, but just don't skimp on putting it out up front because potash is something that it does move a little bit in the soil, but not as much as nitrogen. And I think by the time you see the deficiency, it's very hard to correct. So I think it's, if you can stay ahead of the curve on potash, that's that's the key thing to do.
1: Trey, you've been uh, around the, the cotton industry for a while Um in fact, you've done uh, quite a few years at uh, the university. Uh, which, which college did you go to again? Remind me.
3: Well, I'm originally a, a UGA Georgia Bulldog, um, but uh, before uh, joining Yara, I was uh, with Auburn University.
1: Okay. And that's where you got your PhD. Is that right?
3: Oh, uh, I actually got my PhD uh, from Texas A&M. So I've got my allegiance spread around the Cotton Belt. Who do you root for when they play? Georgia, of course. (laughs) Okay. You got to go back to
1: your roots. Is that it? That's right. That's right. (laughs) Okay. What do you see? I mean, you've been studying this from an academic point of view, being out in the field with the growers. Um, What are the biggest opportunity steps for cotton? How can we take it to the next level?
3: Yeah, I think um, it's interesting in in cotton management and, and agronomy uh, we often uh, rediscover things, and that especially is in uh, the area of soil fertility. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of good current research going on as far as uh, the deficiencies of potassium in cotton, how to manage nitrogen. Um, you know, in a lot of ways, these are these are new problems, but they're also old problems. I've read uh, literature that talks about K deficiencies going back to the 18 1890s. Um, but what's changing is the way uh, our varieties uh, uh, behave physiologically and um, and mature in the field. So in the past, we've had uh, had varieties that uh, set bowls over a consistent amount of time, and they're longer maturing. Uh, you know that makes it easier to get the fertilizer out that you need in the in the right amount of time. Um, but now you have a situation where uh varieties are maturing earlier and they're setting all their fruit more rapidly, which makes it a little more challenging uh to manage, especially potassium. Um so I think going forward, we really need to look at um how those physiological shifts are happening and what can we do different in fertility management um to address that. And, you know, it's also uh some practices out there that maybe get overlooked when we think of our soil calcium um we always get our soil test back and and the soil shows you know really high levels of calcium um in a lot of cases you know that's okay but we have to keep in mind that those soil tests are not showing what uh available calcium is in the soil solution um so we need to be uh i think mindful and maybe address the fact that cotton early on is very calcium deficient um, cotton is historically, um, originated as a, uh, an annual shrub that we've made into a, or it's been a perennial shrub that we've made into an annual row crop. Um, and so during establishment, it's very critical to do all we can to ensure a good stand and a good crop. Um, and I kind of, uh, ask questions around, around calcium and do we need to be putting some available calcium with our cotton seedlings? But that's just an example, I think, of, you know, trying to think out of the box of what can we do different to manage our stands early on and ensure that we have good nutrient uptake uh when this rapid bowl set is happening.
1: okay. Well, I'm I'm looking forward to future podcasts where we talk about the the planting in the early seasons and what to really look forward to and what things to look out for as we're as we're getting into the beginning of the season and then through the season. We can do uh, separate podcasts on that. Christy, um, when uh, when you watch football, who do you root for?
0: Uh, Auburn most of the time.
1: So you're an Auburn grad. Yeah. How did you get into this uh, farming uh, career?
0: Uh, well, uh, growing up, I grew up in a rural area and um, my dad worked across from uh, a cotton field. And so it was basically Auburn's experimental station in Monroeville, Alabama. So every day I'd go by that and I said, that's what I want to do one day. So I was very fortunate to be able to follow that path and, and I uh, have a lot of good people to teach me a lot of good things along the way.
1: And Garrett, what got you back into farming after all these
2: years? Well, um, you know, I guess if we're being honest, a little bit of it was I get to drive tractors most days, I
0: um,
2: you know, growing up out here, it's just, you kind of fall in love with it. Plus having the family connection, knowing that we settled this place and our family has worked it, you know, as far back as I, as any of us can remember. Um, there's some of that attachment to it as well. But what I really love is, um, just taking care of the land, you know, putting the seed in the ground and kind of nurturing it. And a lot of, you know, some crops you can just put out there and do a few things too. And then you're done till harvest, but with cotton, you're always kind of coaxing it and easing it along. And so it's you know, kind of like raising an animal or something like that. So it's a pretty involved crop, but I enjoy, I always enjoyed the, the work that went into it and just kind of how you constantly had to be doing something to it to get it to a finished product. Um, you know, I originally didn't think I would be able to come back to the farm full time, but after, you know, praying over it and the Lord opened up some doors out here that allowed me to come back in a full time capacity, um, I was just really blessed and fortunate to, to do something that I love. Well, we appreciate you uh,
1: tuning in to this High Cotton podcast. We hope that you learned something about High Cotton, about how you can uh, make it a sustainable crop and a profitable crop for you. If you uh, like this podcast, share it with your friends. Uh, You can go on to your favorite player and and rate it and leave us a comment so we can make these better every time. And uh, don't forget to go out and grow your knowledge.
0: You've been listening to the Yara Crop Nutrition Podcast. For more information about our company, please visit us at www.yara.com or yara.us.